a blessing it is to be here to study again and pick up on this uh, lesson from uh, where we left off. Um, I hope we'll gain a little more insight and we'll be able to grow from uh, from this study. Let's uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy divine name and thank you so very much for allowing us to enter into this opportunity to study your word. We ask, Lord God, that you will give us insight, that you will help us to grow, to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding, and to honor you in all that we say and do. Please uh, forgive us for our sins and watch over us. Keep our mind pure and away from evil. In Jesus' name, we pray if it be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Mark chapter 12 tonight is where we're going. Um, so tonight we're going to be looking at context, um, the, the, the value of context or the importance of context. Um, we, we study the scriptures and we, we know that the context is important because uh, if you don't get the context, you're going you're gonna to you could misapply the scriptures very, very easily. And, and so there's, there's my context. I've got to be careful with that, right? And then there's the author's context. I want to know what, what is the Bible actually, what does God want me to get? When you're studying with someone who um, hasn't read the Bible before, um, all, maybe all the way through, it's, it's important to make sure they understand the context. So as you're teaching a lesson from whatever version, instead of just grabbing that verse and pulling it out or lifting it to teach a Bible class, you should try to get all the, you know, get, the, get as much context as you can so they understand what exactly is being said. Now, when you're studying with someone that knows the Bible, when I say knows the Bible, I'm not saying they know it and follow it, but they know it in that they've heard about it. Um, they believe that it's God. Um, they, they have these different beliefs from wherever. They'll come to the Bible with preconceived ideas. Now, we also have that same problem, right? We be very careful not to come to the Scriptures with preconceived ideas. Um, we have to come and, and let God say what God is saying. So when you're reading it, though you've read it before and you may know the account and understand the account uh, at some level or whatever level it is, you have to still let God tell you what he's trying to, you know, explain to you, teach you what he wants you to know because you may gain more insight. You will gain more insight as you study. But when we come to the Bible with, well, I grew up believing this all my life. That, you know, that is a really dangerous statement to make. Um, I'm not saying it, it, it's not a... a a true statement, if it's true, but make sure that what you believed all your life is true. Because what if it isn't true? You know, then how many, how many members of the body have I sat down with and we look at the Word of God and they have this, this idea of what the Bible says and on a certain topic or subject, and then, you know, you go, well, I'm not sure. I, get, I don't really get that. Um, and then they start explaining it to you and you go, I, I don't know that I, I understand it like that, but let's, let's study it. And we study it and they realize they believe something that was more of a congregational belief all their lives than a Bible belief, and that's an issue, right? Uh, and I could, I could lift some of those off, but I'm not going to. Uh, but tonight, preconceived ideas. Um, that's, we're going to go to Mark chapter 12, and I want to give you an idea of what happens when you have this preconceived idea, this is what we believe, and you, and you miss what the Bible has been saying the whole way through. I'm going to be the first to admit to you that there's so much in the Bible that I miss. And I think everyone that, you know, I think we're, as we're being honest, we're all going to admit that too, right? There's so much in the Word of God 
that you have missed. I know I've missed it. You read through the Psalms, right? And you can diligently study the Psalms or any of the Old Testament um, passages of Scripture, uh, the prophets, and you're going to miss those messianic prophecies. Yeah, I mean, unless, unless you already know that, okay, this was found here, this was found there. Those are the ones that you've been taught, you've, you've learned, you've studied. But what if you've never been taught it or learned it or studied it? Do you know how many of those, pre, those, those messianic prophecies would just escape your notice? They just, I mean, they don't even, they almost look like they don't fit. You know, you read through and it, all of a sudden it says, um, you know, he was betrayed by a friend. And it goes on and, there's, it, and you know, you, if, you don't want to miss that. Okay, so let's just look at this. Mark 12. They came up with this idea of what they already believed to be true. The leaders of Israel, the Sadducees, verse 18. And some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and began questioning him, saying, Now, why did the Sadducees say there was no resurrection? All right, why? Can you go back one? Good. Why do they say there's no resurrection? Well, that's what they believe. Who believed that? Now, the, the, the Pharisees say there is a resurrection. They believe in angels. The Sadducees do not. Where do the Sadducees get their understanding from? Right? Not from God, right? Because God teaches us the opposite of what the Sadducees believe. And yet the Sadducees were a very strong and powerful religious group. So now today, we've got lots of very strong, powerful religious groups. And their understanding of the Scriptures in regards to salvation and in the bulk of their understanding, is way off. Where'd they get that from? Where'd they get that understanding from? How are people misled today um, to go to, I mean, you have religions that don't even use the Bible, and yet they call themselves, you know, Christians of some sort. How do people get misled to follow those kinds of groups? So what would happen if you were uh, taught by the Sadducees, and then you heard something being taught by the um, the Pharisees and you had to juggle family because my family believes this our congregation believes this and I've been taught this all my life but then you find out maybe what you've been taught and what you believed all your life isn't true right so the Sadducees who believe there is no resurrection in verse 18 came to them saying they said teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leave. now notice what's happening here Leaves no child, etc. They're trying to set Jesus up, but what are they doing to the scriptures? They're misapplying the scriptures. See, they're using and seeing the scripture in light of what they believe, instead of allowing the scriptures to teach them what to believe. Because they're going to say, "All right, here's their scenario." Teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no offspring. And the second one took her and died, leaving behind no offspring. And the third likewise. And so all seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife shall she or will she be? For all seven had her. See, that's exactly why. That's why there's no way there's a resurrection. See, there's too much confusion. It's just, and you're teaching your children this, right? There's too much confusion. I mean, who's going to have her? And then everyone, we would say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I don't know. How does that, how does that work? And, and wait, is there a contradiction in the law of Moses? So what was Moses saying when he taught that? And, and that's what's important. They weren't listening to what Moses was saying. 
by teaching the word of God. They were trying to take the teaching of Moses and apply it to what they believed. It's, it's reversed. It's the opposite. You're supposed to make sure that what the Bible says is what you believe. When you don't understand something, you have to step away from it, right? And, and then you pray and let God bring it to you. Don't run and get a commentary. That's, not, that's probably in their best answer. I know most of us do it, but it's not the best answer. Instead, go back to it and just read it and read it and reread it. And you may have to read it a hundred times, but that's okay, right? As long as you're still alive and have the breath of life, take your time. You know, and let God, let God reveal to you what he's trying to say to you as opposed to looking in there and digging and saying, but this is what we believe. Okay? So at the end of this text, um, in verse 24, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken? Whoa, wait a minute. Now, I don't know about you, but at the end of this passage, there should be no more Sadducees. That group should have broken up, splintered off. Um, they should have at least announced their, or renounced their belief. Uh, they should have uh, changed their, their understanding of the Scriptures and followed along with uh, the, the Pharisees, but they did not. Because even what Jesus said didn't fit into what they believed. Right? So, Jesus said, you're mistaking that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Uh. So there is, there is an angelic being that appears on earth in the text, all through the Bible, always as a male. But that's the external appearance from the shoulders up. Right? Because angels are neither, they're neither given in marriage or, or, uh, or marry. They are they're spirit beings, right? But they come in the form of a male. So the text is making it clear, you don't have, you're not going to think about marriage. There's no marriage in heaven. Did the Pharisees, or, or the Sadducees rather, did they change their ideas? No. They stuck to them. And that, that's a problem. You have to be really, really careful not to stick to something that is a preconceived idea. And then when you read the Scripture, and the Scripture contradicts what you believe all your life, and you don't go with the scripture. Instead, you stay with your preconceived idea. That's a violation of the context of the scriptures, right? So, so when I look at the context, am I looking at, at my context? Or am I looking at the original author or the idea of what the Bible says and its context? The next one, uh, let's go to Mark chapter 7. In regards to context is the context of tradition. Right? I mentioned this last week, I think it was. Um, that there are traditions that many families have that aren't, um, they aren't biblical traditions. They're just traditions. Number one, you can never bind a tradition. But there are some congregations that you go to that are, you know, the, the bulk of the, the, the core of the congregation, if you will, maybe not the bulk, but just the core of the congregation, one big family, and so they just follow those traditions. And when you go in there and you, um, you, you step on those traditions, they treat those traditions like their Bible. And that's a problem, right? 
And, and listen to what Jesus said, speaking to uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, right? The leaders of the people, down in verse, um, where am I? Verse 8. Verse 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. So, they're holding to these traditions. They, they won't let them go, right? So what are you going to do about this? Well, when Jesus comes along and challenges their tradition, they, they hold those traditions as if they're gospel. In verse, in verse 9, it says, He was also saying to them, You nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So what was the problem in that text? The problem in that text, Mark 7 and verse 9, the problem in that text is this, the tradition violated the Scripture. The tradition was something that, that wasn't true. It was an idea that came out of the scripture. Okay. Uh, let me give you a, a couple of examples of that. Um, now, this is the first one isn't, isn't the best because it, it's just, I'm going to use the word recorded. It, is, it was never recorded in the days of Adam and Eve that God said you couldn't touch the tree. It was only recorded in the direct command from God that you couldn't eat from the tree. They established a tradition. It was a good tradition, you know, from a man's perspective. If you don't, if you don't touch it, you won't eat it, right? It works for me. It works for me. But what if, what if um, Adam touched that tree and then Eve came along and condemned him for touching the tree, right? He didn't, he didn't violate God's law. He, they violated their own tradition, if you will, uh, or their own traditional law. What about the Sabbath? There were some laws. So the Sabbath has, that runs along with it, the sundry laws and laws of mercy, right? So these, these sundry laws run alongside the Sabbath, and you're allowed to do things on the Sabbath based on the scriptures that they don't look good, but they're not a violation of the, they're not a violation. Like, for example, if you were going through the grain field and you were hungry, you were allowed to pick, um, you know, fruit or whatever it is off of the, the, the trees and et cetera, but you had to eat everything you picked and you could not use a sickle. No tool could be used. Okay. When, the disciples of Jesus, when his apostles walked through because they were hungry and they were eating, remember what happened? The Pharisees, the leaders came and condemned them for violating the commandment of God. They never violated the commandment of God. They violated the traditions of men, such as washing cups and bowls and all these traditions they put together that says, you know, these are external things that make us, you know, look good. Um, but they weren't supposed to be teachings that were, were bound upon the people. What makes you feel good, what makes me feel good, doesn't, doesn't always go along with what the Bible says, right? Um, what, this is not what, you know, religion is not about what, how I feel. It's about what the Word of God says. Okay, the last one on, on my, when you're thinking about, you know, if I'm reading the Bible, reading the Word of God, what is my context? What have I believed all of my life? So you're teaching a Bible study, and you get to, let's go to Romans 10. You get to Romans chapter 10. And, um, well, they, maybe someone takes you to Romans 10, and you're talking about salvation, and they approach the Scriptures. And when you approach the Scriptures, uh, we're supposed to open, uh, approach the Scriptures with an open mind and an open heart, never disregarding the other Scriptures, right? Because one Scripture builds upon another. When you go to Romans 10, 9, and 10, and it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
Uh, for with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation, and that's that. Well, they, they will disregard every scripture that has baptism in it to hold to this particular belief, right? Um, Mark 16, I was going to use the, the sharpest, I guess, if you will, um, unapologetic scripture uh, in here as a consequence as well as a, a command. And in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall uh, be saved. Uh, over in the other text, it tells you how to be saved, but it, they, they disregard, they disregard baptism, even though it says it right here as clear uh, as day, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Because they have this, this religious uh, knowledge, theological knowledge, whatever you want to call it, um, regarding their context. We believe this all of our lives. And so it's hard when you're studying with someone um, to help them to walk away from their tradition, right, what they hold on to and neglect the rest and make them look at the Bible as a whole. And so the uh, what I have found in, in my relationship uh, in studying with people is when I know their background, I, I usually ask a lot of questions in the beginning before we open the Bible up because I want to know kind of where they, what they believe, uh, are they saved, when they were saved, Tell me about your religious experience, what's your religious background, what's your faith. I ask all those questions because people like to talk about themselves. So they'll tell you all that, and then you write it all down. Um, and I get that information. And then when I know where they're from, then I go to their, their passages first. The ones I know they're going to go to, I go to those first. I take it from them. Right? So then they have nowhere to go. And then we give them the rest of the Bible. And, uh, and that seems to be very helpful for me. I want to look at a very... Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11, a controversial passage of Scripture that um, we're not going to, um, to exegete it, you know, try to, to get an understanding of everything that's being said. We'll study that on another, another time. I just want, I want to use this. I think it's one of the, one of the clearest examples of, of Bible context and how to get real deep in your Bible context to understand a passage uh, with clarity, right? So there's not a lot of confusion. So First Corinthians 11 is about, you know, wearing a hat or a head covering, you know, for the ladies. Um, verse 1, be, Im- be Im- imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you uh, because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now you say, wait a minute, well, preacher, you just said uh, not to have traditions, right? <laughs> there's a difference between what we're talking about and what Paul is talking about, right? Uh, in, in following Christ. Uh, but I want you to under, remember he's an inspired apostle. So, uh, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a uh, uh, woman and God is the head of, of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her, uh, her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same with her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Okay, so now all these questions come out of this, this passage, right? Um, and you get, and this, this is one of those passages where you, you read through and you've got to get the, the, the big picture first, right? Try to, get, try to get the big picture. But it doesn't always happen that way. What is the... The first question I want to ask, I want to know something about the historical context of this passage. Right? You have to give me the historical context 
of this passage to help me to understand this passage. I need to know something about the time frame and the setting in which this, this whole passage is, is to be understood. And when I'm looking at this passage and trying to understand it, I want to understand it in its proper historical context. I gotta get that. If I don't get that, then I'm already lost. I really, I don't even know what they're talking about now. What, what is a head covering? What, what is, you know, what is it a, is it a hat? Is it a, is it, I mean, what, is it a full head covering? Is it the, what are we looking at here? What is the Bible? What is the historical context or setting behind what's being said in this scripture? My next question is going to be, within the historical context, is it commanded anywhere else? Is there anywhere else in the whole Bible, I would start with Corinthians first, or I would maybe, first I'll deal with the chapter. Is it stated a second time in 1 Corinthians 11? And then I would say, okay, is it, is it mentioned again in 1 Corinthians? How about 2 Corinthians? Okay, and I go through, and you go through every book of the Bible and say, is it mentioned anywhere else in the whole entire Bible? And if it is, let's, let's find the information that, that's been given there. If it's not, we've got to make sure the historical understanding of the passage is really important to us. Then I want to know something about the culture. Tell me something about the people. You know, these people that are, um, that are, are, are wearing, you know, both men and women are wearing some kind of head covering or covering their head or, you know, their hair. I know there's all the arguments about it, right? And what in the world is going on? What's being said? So let's talk about the, the geographical location because we're talking about the culture. So let's look at the geographical location of where, where the people are. And, and then I want to know, what was the author? When Paul was writing this, Right? What was he, what was Paul by way of inspiration? What is Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, perfecter of the faith? What was he trying to say to me? Well, no, I can't do that yet. I have to first ask the question, what was he trying to say to them? I want to know what he was saying to the original recipients of the letter in this historical culture where they had certain traditions or, 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 you know, ideas within their, within their day. And, and they, they, you know, had a, a head covering uh, situation going on in their lives in this particular time frame. Uh, I want to get all that information so that I can draw a conclusion. But I got to get all the context first, right? So I read all the way through all the things he starts talking about, angels and covering and all that, and I get all the way down to verse 16. And then I say, oh, wait, okay, this is what the author wants me to really get first. And that is this. But if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor such, or nor have the churches of God. So, now I'm wondering, is this even really a church thing? It's not even really a church thing, is it? It's not, really, it's not. It's a, it's a historical, cultural situation living in a certain place in a certain time with certain practices and what certain things meant and certain things mean. Okay. You got to get all that. If you don't get all that, then, then when you go back and read this, you, you, we, we get confused and it's, and it's difficult. And we'll go back. We'll go back and we'll study it uh, at some point. But I want to make sure I get what is the author trying to, um, to bring or present. So today, if we were, um, you know, if you go to another uh, land, in, in the world, uh, you'll find that um, I've been I've been to some foreign countries where the men hold hands and they walk down the street talking. What would we say in America if two men? <laughs> we already know that answer, right? Like, whoa, wait a minute, right? 
But if you get into the culture, you realize there's, there's actually nothing wrong with that. In the culture, this is a beautiful, blessed event that's going on with these two men are walking down the uh, you know, road, holding hands and talking. They don't have the problem that we have. I mean, everybody has the problem with homosexuality. But in their culture, it's not, a, it's not a, a, an affection or a, a term of... Or, there's no endearment. There's, no, there's nothing to it. It's just men walk down the streets doing it. In, in my culture growing up um, in D.C., men would walk down the street. We would walk down the street. We'd hug each other. Walk down the street. Yeah, let me tell you something. We would talk. There, there's no homosexuality in, involved in that. But what if it were in America today? Right? See how cultures change? Now all of a sudden, that's not something you want to be involved in as a Christian uh, man, nor women, right? Both, both ways, right? Women and women, men with men. Um, because we're having a real issue with that. You've got to get the setting. What was going on in Corinth? These are Greeks. These are Gentiles. What was going on in their, uh, in their, their, their life and in their culture and, and all that was happening with the women and the men? I also want to know, how does that flow, right? So if I'm going to take a teaching from Corinth, and I'm going to apply it to every congregation, because it has to apply to all congregations, right? So it can't be just you grab it out and go, well... This is something everybody has to do unless you can find a consistent flow to all of the congregations. And that we don't find, right? So, so we got to make sure we look for the flow. What is the flow? What is the temperature? What is the setting that uh, is being revealed to us in, uh, in this text? And you really, if you're going to study a controversial subject, you really got to get everything, all the pictures around now, put diagrams on your wall, you will, and write, you know, paste and copy and more diagrams and be willing also to alter. Because somewhere in there you're going to say, oh, oh, wait, I got this backwards and I mixed this one up. And I, because there's a time when the men and women wore head coverings and there was a time when they didn't in the text, right? And so you, you get all that and you go, okay, I got it, I got it. Just like when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter, you follow 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you go all the way over to the Lord's Supper and, uh, you know, there's an argument when you get down to verse, what is it? Uh, I guess, well, it's, the rest of it, 17 and following, and people say, well, we cannot eat in a church building based on everything that's being said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and following. And you go, okay, whoa, whoa, let's take a look. And we look at all these ideas. And then we say, okay, what is the author? What does God really want us to get in the message from what Paul is saying? Well, we know, okay, well, they weren't doing it correctly. And and this was happening, and some were, some were dying, some were sick. Uh, there were some real big issues. God was really opposed to this, this potluck thing they were having during the Lord, and using the Lord's Supper along with it, and not, not waiting for the poor, and all. Okay, we get all that, but I want to just get one verse, and I don't have this on the, on the board, so you have to, um, you'll have to just listen to me read it and go back and read it yourself. It's in verse 33, and it says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. You know what he doesn't say? So then, brethren, when you come together in a different location to eat, he never changed the location. He only changed the practice. Right? What is the author saying? So we can argue all the, we can argue the verses all the way through what was going on, what was being said, etc. But make sure you get the big picture uh, and then get all the information that's necessary and go back. And then instead of reading it in a, in, um, 
with a preconceived idea. Read it with, with the author's idea. What is God trying to tell me? Right? What does God really want me uh, to know? So, and we could go to a bunch of controversial subjects like that. And we could grab one key verse that's the verse for the whole setting and then go back and reduce or use some deductive reasoning. And we're going to be looking at that as we study uh, inductively. As you're reading the scriptures, how then the rest of the story, the rest of the account, the rest of the teaching jumps out at you because you let the Bible speak instead of me doing all the talking, right? What does God want us to know? Okay. And then everyone has these sharp points. You know, what is, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And, okay, I get all that. There are a lot of things we can think about, but what's the big picture first? Let's get that first, right? And then we'll go on from there. Okay, so so let me give you another one. Jeremiah 29. I'll give you one that is uh, more familiar, I think, because in this last two years, I think, um, every graduation, not every, I'm sorry for speaking that way, but most, a lot of graduations, had a proper, uh, an improper interpretation. They used this scripture, and it was, uh, boy, it was the go-to. It was the, you, see, you know, you'd see it everywhere. Like, remember remember a long time ago, the prayer of J.B.U.S.? Remember that? J.B.A.S., you, re- you read about that? And, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, the prayer of J.B.A.S., and they started writing books. Everybody made money on it, and what was going on? Well, you got to go figure out what was going on then, right? But no, no, if you, and then was, and then it was the, the, the um, denominational world was like, if you say this prayer, this is what's going to happen, you know, and you're going, ooh, gonna, and they, and they wrote books about it, they made tons of money on it, took it completely out of context, right, and, and so, Jeremiah 29, um, is another one that I want to just, just look at for a moment, it was used at graduation speeches, it was lifted out of the, the verse, the, the contextual setting, and it, it was, it was, it wasn't properly, uh, used, okay, verse 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Right? You guys, you've heard this one, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And you read that to the kids and you go, yeah. And I mean, it sounds great, I mean, right? It's a good and you could build off of it. And I think it's important though to say, now, look, now, now when you look at the context of this passage, yeah, I, I want you to know that this is what God was saying to the uh, Israelite exiles. Right? It wasn't really saying, it wasn't saying it to us as Christians, but let's grab a principle from it or a thought or an idea. But you put it in its context first, right? Because that way people don't walk away saying, well, I'm going to pray this prayer because this is what God has in store for me that, you know, some, some great things. And then what happens when something bad happens in their life? Then they're like, well, what, what did God have planned for me? Is this what God has in store for me? Right? Right? Every, everything, um, Everything happens um, for a reason because of cause and effect, right? Not, not because God pinpointed this particular moment, this hour, and this second of your life to be this way. Not everything works that way in life. Okay? And that's really important. Someone says, well, you know, my, you know, so-and-so got into a car accident, so that yeah, was God's will. That is not what the Bible teaches, okay? And it's really important that we get that and we understand that. So got to stay within the context. So at this, in this setting, it's, a, a, it's during a specific time, the Israelite exiles. It was to a specific people being exiled out. And so you've got to be really careful. But here's what happens. When you look at, you know, how could we as a church, right, family, um, let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment. How could we as a church family, 
I have thousands of people in, in this building. It's really easy. We see it. We, we see, you know, what's the formula? What is the correct formula? And the correct formula is uh, in verse Second Timothy 4, in verse 3. But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but when they have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. That's how you get a bunch of people. Get rid of all the doctrine. Don't need doctrine. We're just going to be faith only. No doctrine, right? And make everybody happy. Right? You don't want to step on anyone's toes. We're like, uh, we're like uh, someone said to me that churches are like gas stations. Doesn't matter which gas station you go to, you're always going to get gas, right? So we got to be one of those churches, right? Where, where when they come here, all they're going to get is how good they are and how great they are as people. And we're going to make them feel um, emotionally in touch. And we're going we're gonna to do everything you can imagine that would make people feel happy, right? We're going to play great, great music. Oh, and that's really important. And we're going to, we might dance a little bit. We'll call it a holy dance, though. That's important. You don't want to make love too much. Um, and we're going to make sure that everyone feels welcome. And, and it, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that part. But they're going to go to the extreme in every way and tickle everybody's ear. Just a little bit for everybody. What do you want? What do you need? Well, see, that's what Satan does, right? And so the church isn't going to grow if God doesn't cause its growth, right? The doctrine, the teaching doesn't change. But if you want to, you know, grow a church in an unscriptural way, you do it by never dealing with the, the issues that have provoked controversy. Back to baptism. If, if someone wants to believe that all you have to do is hear the word and, and that's it, and, and you can um, trust in that, then let's just teach that. Let's not, we don't rock the boat. I was told that a long, long time ago. My family, my mother in particular, um, don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Like, well, I never really looked at it. Like, I mean, I was coming from the world, so I didn't really understand that concept in the world of religion. Um, but I just thought, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. If you're going to be a gangbanger, be a gangbanger. Right? If you're going to be a thief, be a thief. You know, I'm not a thief. I'm not a gangbanger. I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to be a Christian, right? And so, if being a Christian rocks the boat, we're going to rock the boat, right? Just let's just stay in the boat, right? Let's get in the boat. That's a good spot. Let's get into the boat. Um, because that's really important. So tra- tradition and, and context. Context is so critical. And that's why it's important to, if, you know, if you're a child of God, to be able to say as a child of God that I have read the Bible through entirely from Genesis to Revelation. Um, every Christian should be able to say that. And if you can't, you need to do it. You need to go do that. You need to make that happen this year coming up. Maybe you're, uh, and I'd say don't even wait till January because then you'll make a New Year's resolution and we don't want that. We just want you to just do it, right? You got to read the Bible all the way through. How can, you, how can we call ourselves followers of God if we don't even know what God has to say on every subject matter? Now, when I say everything, I mean as, as far as what we can think of. You got to read from Genesis to Revelation. And when you finish doing that, what should you do? Do it again, right? Do it again. That was my, uh, and you know what you can do? This is what was important. And I'm not bragging. I'm just giving you the truth. It's a, it's a, t- it's a tool. When my kids were younger, uh, very, very little, I bought them a one-year Bible. And my whole family read the one-year Bible. Everybody had to read the one-year Bible. Their responsibility was to get that Bible finished in a year. Every year, growing up, that was their job. That was their relationship 
with God. Not mine, not my faith. That was their faith. If they don't know what God has to say, then how, you know, what rule book are we going to use when, when we have conflict or troubles or trials? or What, what are we going to use? What, how do we know what God wants us to do if we don't read it first? Read it. Let God talk to you. Let God talk to you. And the only way God's going to talk to you is through what? His word. And if you don't read his word, then you don't want to hear what God has to say. You're going to have a hard time when it comes to, you know, Satan's attacks. Wait till we get to the study, which is a lot of fun. Maybe I'll do it in a sermon instead. But it's uh, how Satan works. And you look at all these attacks that Satan uses throughout the Bible from the Old Testament into the New. And you find that knowing the scripture is the only thing that's going to save you. You know, you got to know. Wait, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait. But God said, so that's why I can't. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's just an, a, an amazing, impressive way of defending yourself. And it's interesting. In every, in every I don't know if, I, if John, was the, John was the right word to use, but I'll just say in every walk of life, if you are going to participate in a sport, you, you learn all the rules. You have to learn the rules, right? What are the rules? If you're going to play soccer, what are the rules? There's offense, there's defense, there's positions, there's, you know, you, got, you have to know the rules. If, if you're going to play football, basketball, baseball, if you're going to go get a job, they're going to give you a, you know, in the military, they give us an SOP. The rules, these are the rules. doesn't matter what you did at your last base, these are the rules here. You have to read those rules and memorize those rules and know those rules. And your job now, they have rules on the job that you're on. This is what you, what you are supposed to do. We read those rules. Well, the Bible is not a book that's necessarily full of rules, although it is. It's a book that's full of instructions for salvation. So why wouldn't we read it all the way through, year after year, after year, after year, and then and then really get excited and do it twice in a year, and then and do it three times in a year, right? What's stopping me from doing that? Me. And I, I, I think it's, and I want to say this, and then, then I'll, let, I'll let you go. Class going to end a little early tonight. Um, I've seen Christian folks read novels like that, thicker than the Bible, and say, oh, now I've never read the whole Bible. You just read the whole novel twice. <laughs> don't, don't ever be accused of that as a Christian to have read a novel but never read the Bible all the way through, right? And maybe it's because it's, uh, God's Word is not, um, you know, it's, there are some books that are tough. I'm not going to say there aren't. But if you, can, if you can get into them and understand and see what's going on. Like, I love the book of Leviticus, the book that I used to think was so, it, it is still a little bit complex, but it's very complex. But you know what's so beautiful about the book of Leviticus? <laughs> we don't have to do that. <laughs> Jesus did it all for us, right? Thank you, God. You know, the priest go in, take his big thumb, and right thumb, and stick it in the blood, dip it on his, his uh, ear, right earlobe, and then his right big toe. And I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to do that. Because Jesus, Jesus did that for us, right? And then you start reading and try to really understand what it is that God wants us to understand. So thank you tonight for your time. Maybe perhaps uh, tonight there may be some who uh, would like prayers made in every half. Uh, that will be extended to you in just a moment, the opportunity that we might pray with you uh, and pray for you. If you're online and you're uh, requesting things, please make it known to us via email. Thank you again tonight for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, God bless uh, each one of you.